Hey everyone, and welcome to an eventful life with Brad Cox and Shane Buzzer. I'm Brad. And I'm Shane. An eventful life is the podcast where we take you on a journey through eventful lives of inspirational event leaders from around the world. That's right, Brad. We'll be sharing their stories, impact, and insight into the complex world of events. So if you like these stories, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your mates. This is An Eventful Life. G'day, Shane. How are you, mate? I'm good, Brad. How are you doing? Yes, very well. Good to see you again. Another busy day, I assume, in the life of uh, Blue Event Productions. It sure has been. about yourself? Yeah, mate. Absolutely flat out. Flat out. So it's uh, certainly all happening at the moment. Yeah, sure is. Yeah. March, <laughs> April. Any Actually, cut stories? that out. Sorry. Shouldn't say the month. Mm, yeah. Uh, um, any exciting stories? Anything happening of interest? Um, yeah, working on a big event in Seymour, actually. Oh, Seymour. Um, Country a, Victoria. Re- all, uh, yeah, regional Victoria. Biggest uh, biggest event that happens over there in Seymour. It's, uh, it's awesome, actually. I really enjoy being a part of it. Um, getting out there uh, and get my hands dirty. It's good. good oh, fun. Awesome. Yeah. Beautiful. It's uh, beautiful Melbourne weather today to be outside, oh. I would have thought, and see more. So pouring rain, about five degrees, and uh, we're in the middle of autumn. But anyway. You've got to love an outdoor event in Melbourne, right? Totally. Totally. Four seasons in one day. Hey, let's get into it. Uh, today's guest is an international connoisseur and an absolute fantastic bloke. Uh, he loves to have a laugh and a drink, uh, but he's also an incredibly focused uh, individual that has seen him rise to the top of his craft. Originally from Germany, Marcus Werner is one of only a few certified master chefs in Australia and is currently the corporate executive chef of Delaware North, where he oversees the culinary experience for the Australian Open and some of the largest stadiums in the country. He has been executive chef at prestigious five-star restaurants and hotel groups throughout Australia, Asia, Germany, and Austria. Marcus has a love for motorbikes and constantly shows Shane how to succeed on the golf course, is my understanding. Uh, Would you please welcome Mr. Marcus Warner. Welcome, Marcus. Thanks for having me, Brad and Shane. That's a fair intro. That's a massive intro, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so that's the show over. Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. No, no, there's plenty more to talk about. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Hey, Unfortunately, ben, my, my, my golf uh, did not improve since we played last. Oh, you know what? That was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's keep the golf stories off, uh, off this one. So well, we'll be here all day about who's, who's better and who's not. But I'm up next, that's for sure. Uh, hey, mate, let's get straight into it. Um, I understand, and as I said in the intro there, you grew up in Germany, uh, a country that's known for its love of uh, food and, and a celebration. Uh, what are some of your earliest memories of food and where did the original passion come from for yourself? The original, uh, it comes from, um, we've been actually a relatively small family uh, for Germany, but uh, every weekend my mother was an amazing cook and uh, we had cousins and uncles. And uh, so there was uh, never a table uh, less than 15 people on a Sunday uh, lunch. And that's where uh, actually the celebration of food coming from, you know. I'm not necessarily... um, was straight away helping mom a lot. I must be honest. I was more <laughs> what the, <kid> does. <laughs> I was more uh, outside playing and doing all these things. What you normally do as a young fella, and uh, really enjoyed then this company of uh, celebration of food. And and my father and and we started lunch at twelve o'clock and we left the table at three. You know, just to come back to have coffee at four or so. <laughs> like so, uh, yep. it was oh, always right. really a massive celebration. Yeah, great. I mean, I don't know about you, Shane, but I've certainly been to a few uh, German celebrations and they generally do start at lunchtime and finish way, way, way beyond uh, the sun going I was going to say three o'clock's uh, more, one of the more conservative <laughs> times I would have thought. Or did you mean AM? AM probably, yeah. 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 
there that you sounds go. more like so it. So it was your mum that sort of gave you that early influence to food? Is that sort of where that sort of passion eventually grew correct, from? Correct, correct. And my mum was um, also working in Switzerland a little bit. She was not really chef, but she was working in different areas. So she had a lot of... Uh, for the country town where I came from, a lot of different cuisines as well. And that probably uh, triggered also the interest to uh, very early I wanted to travel. That was really the big thing for me. Yeah, great. And so where did your professional life start then? Sort of you grew up, um, you know, at home there with the family, but where did you go, okay, this is what I want to do for my career and, and how did it all kick off? Yeah, yeah. I left, um, yes, yeah, school was not really for me. So <laughs> <laughs> I left school really, really early. So, uh, and I went straight for an apprenticeship because uh, all I wanted to get out and see the world. And then I thought as a chef, that's where you can go anywhere you like. So I went to a very small restaurant uh, it called, uh, if you're translating it, uh, like a hunting restaurant where uh, the hunters will go out shooting ducks, shooting venison and uh, oh, wow. That's wild awesome. boar, bring That's it back. so good. It was not so awesome when <laughs> you're an apprentice there because we had to preparing it and then serving it the next day. So, uh, so continually, but what I learned was unbelievable, you know, like um, all these animals came in and uh, we prepared it and we get it ready, plus our normal a la carte. So what I learned... I could have learned so much more if I wouldn't, but it was big hours, but the interest of food and the interest of, uh, you know, like the natural products, what the country can bring was amazing. And we had so good connections to all our suppliers and stuff. That's where it really grow. And, and suddenly I go like, wow, that's me. And so the apprenticeship, how long did that last for in Germany? It was uh, three years. Yep. Okay. Um, any crazy stories in the apprenticeship? Was there any sort of Gordon Ramsay style moments? In look, the, it was in uh, certainly tough. Yeah, it was, was certainly say, tough. So, did you cop uh, it? Did you cop you it? You cop it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, I would be much, much better now if I would do the apprenticeship again or so. I would make sure on a Sunday morning I would have uh, everything prepped twice because the first time when the big boss is gaming, he my chopped onions was not good enough. My chopped. Uh, <laughs> Mushrooms was not right. Yes. So he always, they're flowing really low in the back corner <laughs> where I was standing. Next time I would have another prep and just bring it over, but you had to chop them really fast and uh, yeah, it was pretty rough. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Sunday morning you wish you hadn't been hung over, but this is actually a proper story. Of Don't no, get no, hung this, over today, this, mate. No, no, hang no, no this was on as well. So everybody go every night out and yep. then in the morning there you're starting is. to prep very early. Okay. And um, if you didn't make it, it yep. was tough in both ways. But do you think that that dynamic that you're now talking about in in your profession that found people out, and you know the fact that you were able to push through that, and you know the education is not just about cooking, but you know the, the dynamic in the kitchen, right? That's correct. But you certainly uh, with the new generation or so, I don't think it was the best way to train. You know, they no, but, in, but at the time, at the yeah. time, hundred percent under time because uh, you have to have the passion, you have to have. Uh, the, the, the interest to push through and really to learn more and be better or so like um yeah hundred percent it was, it was uh, and and you always drive to be better because uh, you knew he will he will not be happy uh, at eleven o'clock when the service started so you knew you need to really be your best and mm. be really on it you know like there was no uh oh next time please make it better now <laughs> today now. Yeah, and did you like the restaurant game? I mean, it's very different than what you're doing now, which we'll talk about it soon, but in terms of the restaurant process of being a chef in a restaurant and 
and, and the draw because it is very different and, and a bit of a unique skill set. Correct, was, correct. Was the, did you enjoy that process at I, early days? I love the restaurant game, I'll be honest. I'm really loving it. And I always, uh, I never lost the touch of the restaurant. So even now, if you link, I mean, we had 90,000 people or so last week in the MCG. Yeah. Uh, and you still will find me probably uh, for half an hour on one of the restaurants on the parcels or like, because uh, yeah, wow. even now, and, and it gives you a bit of buzz, it gives you, uh, yep. but then uh, I thought uh, in the um, catering, the last event, larger events, uh, I really enjoyed in the diversity. Yep. Because in a restaurant, like your menu is probably six months stuck a little bit where, yeah, okay. uh, you know, just every event is different. different. Every yeah. single event is yeah. different and it runs differently. It set up differently. So I really enjoyed mm. this part. And Australia's a long way from Germany where it a all started. Way. How and when did you sort of make the move over here? Was there a reason for it? I mean, you said you love traveling. Was it like, I'm just going to Australia and that's, and that's it and you've ended up here? Or is there a bit of a, a story and a journey to get here? And, and were you on your own or did you come here with anyone? As well? um, I started on my own, more or less. I had uh, a partner already from Germany. And uh, the thing was I really wanted to go to Asia. But uh, as we just explained before how tough the training was, mm. I turned into a, a quite a tough chef as well. <laughs> and um, when I had my first interview uh, with the Asian companies, and go like, nah. You have to go somewhere else oh, first. Oh wow! Really? You Too have to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> it will not work uh, in a, because I wanted to go to Japan. Was well, probably my big thing or so. Like right. and go like um, Su- like a sushi chef, or? not sushi chef, but uh, they have large uh, hotels there. I wanted to be of really course, uh, yeah. one of the large hotels, yep. and uh, you have then your specialized sushi chefs. But uh, I want to really, uh, I love their culture. I love mm. their styles. I love this professional they're also quite really very professional in their kitchen they're very know. polite too so very polite so any, any yeah. anger yeah. Or, uh, <laughs> and they yeah. thought like nah th- th- if you fly some kids some some pans or some knives flying around <laughs> the kitchen i don't think it will cut the mustard so uh they go like uh, go to america go to somewhere go to australia it's very good very multicultural, and you have to calm down so that's where uh, my journey started and i go like uh, i didn't really like America much in these days, but uh, I thought like, I got to Australia, let's give it a go. So, and you started in the hotel game up there. Is that the first or was there something sort of before you ended up down that path? Yeah, yeah. And and, and if you think, of, I was uh, executive sous chef in a Hilton and mm. I started there as a oh, casual wow. because I could not speak a word. Yeah. And I found um, a German speaking uh, F&B manager and he says, uh, I give you a go. Well, that, that's oh, the thing about hospitality. You know, it's so multicultural. Correct. Um, which it would have been great, Correct. I guess, for you to you know l- learn the Australian way from other you know international expats. Yeah, hundred percent. And then they gave me a go because uh, his owner of the hotel was an Austrian family, right. and they could not get proper Austrian food, and they have it every Wednesday. And this was my job every <laughs> Wednesday: cook their food. There that's awesome. And, and that's how I got it? into it. Uh, I enjoyed it, but I also, um, uh, it was quite interesting because, I mean, like, obviously I did not understand what people were saying around me. So uh, I realized later how much people are whinging about me. Look at this German <laughs> fella standing there and just put, cooks this one. <laughs> one but uh, I really enjoyed it. I was, uh, when I left there, I was, uh, a year later, I was executive sous chef when I left. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, obviously you're building your why up. I mean, I, I had the skills, I just couldn't 
talk about it and couldn't uh, lead yeah. the, the um, team or so. But um, and was that your biggest challenge? You think in terms of you know the language barrier? Was there cultural barriers or the way that things were done differently? What what were some of those challenges? Um, the culture, the the multicultural, uh, yeah. Because I mean, you're using suddenly. I mean, like uh, I made. The, can you make a carry? You know, no problem. The German curry to uh, Australian curry is certainly totally different. Yeah, right. We're using curry powder and uh, tin fruit. So well, when I finish my curry, they all go like, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> 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 this tastes that tastes nothing uh, similar to uh, I, I was supposed to do a Thai curry, you know, like uh, a rending or uh, or yeah, uh, right. and or a green curry, and and it just did did not get, did not work out. Yeah. I guess. And so to fast forward a little bit. Um, you came to Melbourne, obviously. D- was it something you learnt along the way when you came to Australia about the hospitality scene in Melbourne, you know, the, the quality of it or, or how did that come about? Or did you just come in not knowing that maybe and learning as you no, went? No, no. By, by then I knew already uh, Melbourne probably going to be uh, my stop in Australia. Right. I um, I left in uh, Cairns after, yeah, probably eight years and, and travelled a little bit and, um, and then um, – Went to Perth for three years with uh, Crown Casino. Yeah. Oh, nice. And then uh, they transferred me as executive chef to the casino in Melbourne. I knew already Melbourne going to be uh, the place I probably yep. stay a little bit longer. I mean, like, even in the tropics, you know, uh, we had quite regularly guest chefs coming always from Melbourne and I, I, I knew the culture and, and I, I really missed the coffee. <laughs> I mean, I came before a couple of times to Melbourne yeah. as well. We travelled quite a bit here. And that's a big change, the, the job sort of taking that crown hotel group on which is a huge yeah. conglomerate here in australia in particular uh, but through asia as well but for someone that you know arrived can't speak the language didn't know where they were going to fit to end up effectively well executive chef of one of the largest if not the largest hotel uh, group here uh, and particularly in melbourne with the prestige of it um yeah as a 24-hour operation <laughs> which never stops can you tell us a little bit about that role in particular and you know was it a big leap that you sort of took to come to melbourne and take that role on were you nervous about it or some of the challenges maybe that you know makes crown so unique if you say it like this i'm wondering why they're taking it. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> look um, i mean you you grow and and i i certainly changed you know um changed totally the behavior and ch- changed totally um um I mean, I love the Asian cuisine and I took this really quickly on. So like uh, when I was in Cairns, Cairns is uh, um, really, I had more Japanese customers probably than I would have in Japan or so maybe because in these days, yeah. Cairns was, uh, we had uh, we had three, four set menus, uh, Japanese, fully Japanese cooked and you had to get it right. And I went really right into it. So I had then this multi-culture, I, I took it very quickly on and I wanted to make sure the events are, original so this gives gives you then a, a good start and when i came to uh burstwood casino what's crown casino yeah. now um, um i started in banquets there and then i went to, to executive sous chef quite quickly for all the restaurants because uh, i knew how a good chinese should taste like i knew how a japanese rice needs to be cooked or yep. so like so and you'd mellow it out a bit from when you try to get a job in asia <laughs> clearly so you're able to <laughs> carry it out okay yeah so uh, <laughs> if you take all these things on very quickly then um uh, i was actually not too nervous uh, originally when i arrived in melbourne 
I was more nervous uh, two weeks later when I was here in Melbourne going, my God, that's a big job. Yeah, it's a huge uh, job. Yeah, it's a, it's a massive job. Yeah. And was that, you say it's sort of daunting in some ways, sort of once you settle into it, but in terms of working in the restaurants and even the hotels to then being banquet chef. So, okay, now we're focused on event-specific stuff. Uh, and for our listeners in sort of interstate and internationally, you know, Crown here in Melbourne in particular is the largest you know, corporate space, ballroom space, function space. It has all our large major, you know, award shows and those style of events. You know, it's a, it's has huge expectations on it in terms of the, the prestige of it. Um, how did you sort of feel going from that sort of restaurant hotel area into banquets? And is that a big shift in itself? Um, it's certainly a shift, but uh, I always, I always wanted to make restaurant food in banquets. That was always my goal. How did um, you do that? Um, I think um, just think a little bit uh, broader and use some techniques and use – you have a lot of uh, um, machineries around you as well, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, so uh, I think it was always my my focus and my big thing. And even with guest chefs, you know, like use a, a, a great well-known chef and take his food and – producing it for 1500 people and I always enjoyed it I, I loved it and the important thing for me was also uh, obviously you have your menu tastings and you have people coming for the big conferences and like oh yeah we are uh, 2000 people or are we coming for three days uh, and here you showed me something for one person and so like I guarantee you whatever I presented here I can do again for a thousand for 1500 for 2000 it's just really uh really Five chefs for 250 people. It's pretty <laughs> yeah. ball, It's pretty ballsy though because, okay, that's your vision and that's something that you wanted to create for, you know, the experience of your guests to have that, you know, that restaurant meal as you say. But you need staff and you need chefs and you need yeah. a crew together who can, you know, really work with you and, and roll with that. And was that a – it would have been a difficult transition but what um, processes or techniques did you implement to make sure that could be carried out? Again, I probably uh, sometimes jumping again straight into the water. So uh, I said like, yes, I can do. And then you realize, oh, I'll have to make sure that my team yeah. is uh, on the mm. same wagon, obviously. Yeah. And let's and, not and underestimate that team. My understanding is about 200 people in that team for you at Crown, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, huge. Well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they have to be, and and obviously yeah, you're increasing it with some casuals mm. and, and you're decreasing again as well. But um, I, I think it's very important as um, – I mean, I think I have a lot of passion and drivers or like, and people can bounce off it as well. It's really important that uh, your chef de cuisines have the same vision and go like, yes, we want to do this. And uh, and I, for me, it was very important uh, when we presented something, I uh, went to their area as well and we played it at rough. I, I knew what we want to achieve and, uh, and it, it needs to be, um, um, I think, a teamwork, you know, like... Uh, I can stand wherever I want on my own. If your team is not following you, uh, yep. it doesn't work. It's like anything, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, correct. Exactly. Correct. You know, it is correct. a team. You, you, and it's you your can, vision. It's your leadership. And but it can, you can be you. only as good in the team. So obviously, I changed my style. I'm not this angry anymore. I'm <laughs> much more relaxed now. And the, I had always luck. Really, the team hundred percent followed you. And and there was days we were sixteen hours in the kitchen mm. because sometimes things go wrong. You know, yeah. like uh, I thought it's going to be much quicker until we're rolling all this. Uh, 1500 rule arts and did not really yeah. work so well. You moved to Delaware North in 2011 and I can remember you coming in as I was working for Tennis Australia uh, at the time and 
Delaware have been through a couple of executive chefs in quite quick succession uh, as they were trying to change their their approach to event catering, particularly with their involvement in the Australian Open. Um, and it was one of the biggest challenges, you know, we were all undertaking together to sort of change that experience level. And colouring offerings and expectations were on the rise, even in Melbourne, which was already known for that. Um, clients and guests were looking for new offerings and there was a real focus on food at events. Uh, what are some of your earliest m- memories of coming to Delaware and undertaking that role to, you know, design and deliver the experience at such a high-profile event? Um, uh, it's a long time ago. Yeah, I know, I know. Where were we? I, know, I, know. I, can't, I don't even want to know. Time, yeah. 13, 13 years ago or something like something that we like were. That, so. yeah. Look, I, I, I still know the vision because I started on the – on the 6th of December yep. and I think the oh, wow. event started on the 12th right. of December. No, it was a week or two weeks or so. Um, again, I'm jumping and I jumped straight into it and um, it was certainly um, something i never seen before. Yeah, It was, uh, yeah, again, people are managing kitchens from a desk and I go like, mm. how does this work? Yeah. Get in the kitchen. If we're not <laughs> in there, how, how, yeah. how, how does this, you know, like I, I want to feel the steak. I want to see the kingfish if it's a good quality or bad quality. And and people more was it like a machine a little bit, like uh, you just uh, have a recipe and you're handing it out and you check your uh, food cost and labor cost. Mm. And blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. I, I was like, mm, that's uh, – Different. I so must when, say. when you started, am I right in saying that because it was only five weeks out, it was kind of already done, or did you have a little bit of an opportunity? No, to no, jump it, in it was pretty much done. Yeah, but uh, how it was done, it, I mean, I changed a lot in this uh, short period yeah. because yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> I, I, I tell you right now, I'm 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 a very I again I'm jumping very quickly, and if I don't like it, I don't like it, and I will. Let everybody know. Yeah. How were the start? How were the people at Melbourne Park when you did come in and you wanted to make some changes to improve the experience of the Australian Open specifically, which of course is just such a major event um, now and was at the time as well? But did you ruffle any feathers or what, what happened there? You're uh, smiling. That's a yes. Yes. Short <laughs> answer is yes. I would say we changed a few people very quickly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And not the, not the, so uh, again uh, not the, I gave them the opportunities to be again be part of it mm. and who didn't want to be part of it left that's what a good leader does though so i, I think yeah. so i think i think you have to really uh and 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 on the other side the ones who really go like wow we're loving it mm. they're really jumping very quickly on and supporting you extremely whatever they can because they have similar visions several similar ideas and uh I think we made really quickly changes and, and really quickly I wanted to make sure that uh, we're selling a, a vision here. It's not just uh, I want to finish an, an event. I, I want to really uh, make everybody happy there. I want us, uh, there's a celebration of food. There is, uh, yeah. sp- I mean, that's everything, you know, like players, everybody was happy, you know, like uh, totally. it's great. Yeah, and it was, and then taking it on to 2012 and that next year, it was a completely different offering yeah. and it was everything. I was there it, at the time. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was the vision that everyone had set out to achieve and I think, you know, you were such an instrument, instrumental part in that vision. It was like, okay, how do we bring this to life? People have wanted to do it for so long, but it was just, it always had its sticking points and I think that's testament to your leadership and maybe a bit of that German style of sort of coming and going, no, we're not doing it that way. We are going to do it this way rather than that tiptoeing around Mm. and and where we get stuck in the the spiralling out of control meetings. 
Um, the food and beverage offerings, though, in, are completely different in that corporate space compared to, say, the public outlets and the offerings, which is a whole other beast within itself that you've had to pick up. Um, both are important to those attending in different ways at, at any event. Overseeing, you know, the biggest event spaces in Melbourne and Australia, you know, pulls in massive crowds. You spoke about, you know, 90-odd thousand plus at the MCG the other week. Tell us a bit about some of the strategies behind sort of selecting, designing, pricing and delivering, you know, the cuisines in, to the various crowds and audiences in both those different markets and how you've worked through that process. For me, for me, it's very important. Every single outlet you're going, you need to have an identity. You need to know that the people who are inside the outlets, what are you known for? If they can't have an answer and say like, oh, this is our great product, that's what we're looking for. If It's the same with a restaurant. If I go into a restaurant and go like, I normally ask them, what are you famous for? They normally can tell you what their mm. cuisine is, what their style is. And I think it's it's very important, like I say, it doesn't matter if I go to Darwin to the casino or if I'm going to the before to the SCG or to Melbourne. I think it's very important you uh, give every single outlet an identity and uh, and make sure you have a good mix, obviously, in your, uh, re- what we said before, retail offerings. You have a good mix. And um, I always... Year after year, I like to challenge uh, every single um, outlet, every single event. As we said before, as so, uh, when this year we had chicken, next year we have maybe uh, something a little bit more exciting. And uh, we're working on it on styles. How can we delivering it? Without, uh, obviously, sometimes you don't have the infrastructure. Yeah. Sometimes you don't have uh, the surrounding. How can we make it to still a safe way? I mean, like... The thing is, uh, food safety can never suffer under any uh, ideas or so. So to a safe way, and um, I mean, I, I remember I had a massive outlet uh, um, outside catering, and we had these uh, beef tenderloins, and uh, I might uh, in the in the Hilton in these days or so, I made a sample after sample, and I put it in the hot box for six hours, for eight hours, because I knew I had to travel for three hours, but I had not enough time to cooking it there, and I had no facility to cooking all these things. So I cooked it on the truck. So I had uh, all planned up. The door needs to be this far open, so you're getting a little bit of steam through, and my tenderloin was perfect after the travel. We went there, we set up, and I served. And I think this is very important, the same with events like this, just have a plan. Yeah. yeah. You know, you have an outlet 20 minutes and it's like if something goes wrong, it takes me 20 minutes to walk to you. So uh, we make sure we're planning it really well in advance. What we like to offer in there, the infrastructure, everything have to be fit and have to be supporting it around. And I guess like, you know, for people listening to this podcast who go to the footy every week, and noticing in the last few years the different offerings and, and you know different vendors, but you're thinking about this, aren't you? You're thinking about well, what is going to appeal, but also logistically, what is actually, how can we prepare all this? Am, am I right that this is that these are the discussions being had? Correct. For each I, I, year? I, yeah. I just spoke to to a supplier. What I want to deliver next year in March? Kind of, can we do this? Can we? Because sometimes, obviously, we said before, we're talking about ninety thousand people. Mm. The supplier needs to be ready as well to starting. Uh, producing this much or, or to uh, get the farmers ready to... I uh, said, so like, I want to right. do this because the farmers need to be ready to give me all the products and then we're producing it and how we're putting it into different outlets, into different areas. Wow. So it's over 12 months to get into a mass stadium just in the physical produce side of things. You're planning that far out, which is not 
different to a lot of other things we do in events, but I guess it gets taken a little bit for grain of salt. You oh, see yeah. the end product and we focus so much on the service and the logistics potentially in the venues, but not so much thinking about, okay, well, has the farmer got enough to be able to deliver that year round and can Correct. we get that onto a menu for a stadium for 12 months and, and so on? Obviously, it's not with everything. No. You, you can get a, a beer or so. Like, uh, mm. It would be weird if the, if the brewery run, run out of beer, yeah. I tell you right now. We have to have a, an offline chat about the beers at the footy, please, you and I, <laughs> but that's, that's a whole other convo. <laughs> but... Um, I, I guess uh, if you want to bring something new or you want to – you can't just say like, okay, let's bring me two tons of uh, this uh, fishing or this uh, prawns because they want to mm. have it. They, they, we need to plan this in yeah. advance really. Uh, and and again, I want to – I start quite early with I, – I know a lot of suppliers also they are doing uh, three, four kilos a year of certain products and I go like, oh, I don't want to talk to you. And I said, why? Because you're so big. And go like, let's start on a small area and grow together. You know, as we said before, there's so many different food outlets. Maybe we're just using it in, in uh, our um, French restaurant or yep. we're just using it in an Italian restaurant or we're just using it in one food outlet. So this is interesting because this is something we really wanted to ask you about in terms of we've seen this particularly at the tennis, but even in major events, you know, globally, we're starting to see more brands become involved in the yeah. event. So these restaurants, you know, Melbourne's known for its restaurant scene. So we're starting to see these pop-up restaurants appear at all these events. What's that process like? Does the, does the restaurant come in and deliver? Are they just giving you the recipes? How involved do you guys get? And you're worried about your quality and your vision as well. There's so many. It's just another layer of these elements. Is there? Can you give us a bit of an idea of how that process works for you guys? Normally, we, as I mean, there's always different models, obviously as well. Some brands are running it by themselves, but yep. to most of the times uh, we get their recipes. We get their ideas and then we delivering it in the large scale. Yep. I just said before, uh, a lot of times the restaurant collapsing uh, if they're thinking, oh, my God, normally mm. I have uh, 20 chefs here uh, for a uh, 45-seater <laughs> restaurant. Uh, mm. What are I going to do? Because we take just an and, – and there then we visiting the restaurant and we take an element. I go like, this dish will not yep. work. I can't I can't wrap – I have to be quite honest with myself as well. So I, I cannot replicate this dish to serving it quick enough in a good quality volume so, yeah correct correct yep. so there is then but of every menu you get a, i could do this i can do this i can do this but in terms of keeping you passionate and driven every day um you know what are you chasing what what sort of keeps you going every day of the week and and what does that end goal look like um i certainly always like to change i always like to be on it and i have uh yeah, Karen would hate me, hates me for it, but I have always every day a new idea and do something different. And um, so uh, I, I always um, like to um, get something new created, do something new. So probably um, if I say like I mean, tomorrow probably I will tell you a different story. I, I would say probably chasing the, the farm and, go back to the roots i think yeah, this would nice. be really cool i really would love to have this one in the old days and i always said like i just want to have a restaurant where there's four items written on and this is exactly <laughs> what i picked it this morning you know like i always enjoyed it and i i always in the events this is gonna be my next big thing i think um 
instead of brands, I would more like to promote farmers, you know, like. A, oh, wow. I love it. So you, you take the boy out of Germany. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. This is the carrot you pulled out and I want to see it on a big screen on the top here and I just grilled it for you. So this morning it was on the farm. Now it's on your plate. So I would like to. I like all you celebrity chefs, don't get me wrong, but I like to go more <laughs> to uh, the product, you know, like yeah. and uh, I really feel very heavily connected with some beef farmers. I really like to go to their farms and watching the cattle grassing. It just makes me really happy. Mm-hmm. You're, and, not, and you're not alone, emotional, though. That's yeah. the emotional connection, yeah? Like if you're in a guest at an event and you're sitting there and you see something that was on a farm and you see the farmer that's producer and you see that journey and it's on your plate that night, you are connected to the food in another yeah. way that you don't yeah. would yeah. normally experience. Yeah. So I, I think uh, th- there should be much more um, connection with uh, and celebrate the farmers and the producers who do so the good. right thing. I think that this needs to be celebrated much more. And then I always say, like, I want us the producer and the farmer is really proud of what I did out of their products. Then I feel really good. Yeah, right. And your your farm, going yes. back to that one, Australia or Japan or Germany or somewhere else? If you had to pick one, where would you have it? Australia. Oh, there you go. Right, there that, that's a good segue into our rapid-fire question, Shane. It's, uh, it's your turn. Marcus, uh, strap in. Shane, hit, hit him up, mate. All right, are you ready? Yes. Okay, rapid-fire questions, quick answers, and I thought I've changed it up a bit, Brad. I've thought of one on the oh, way in. So Look out. Okay. Even they're, I don't know what's going they're, on. They're, they're pretty easy. All right, best market in Melbourne. Best market, South Melbourne market. Okay. And globally? Globally, uh, Rocher in France. Okay. I like it. Favorite restaurant? Currently or right now? Um, Aru, I think, in the moment, or Gimlet. Now, aside from cooking for me on Steaks Day in 2013, what has been your career highlight? Oh. Sorry, sorry again? Career highlight, apart from when you cooked for me at oh, the races yeah, that yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's in the top five. No, mate, probably so not. Great no. day. <laughs> he, couldn't, he couldn't even remember it, which is fair enough. But no, what has been your career highlight so far? I Look, I must say how we bounce back from uh, from COVID is, is amazing if yeah, I'm looking at well now done. because uh, I was really struggling mentally as well a little bit. So I, I thought that's it they nearly cracked me mm. you know i had to take the uniform off and walk around because i was really it was a yeah it was tough oh, wow but um i, I think always um yeah some like the io i think is right up there the, the second one as you said before so 2011 was tough to go in but 2012 i thought jesus that's good yeah. i yeah. made a difference i mean yeah i can make it better and we made it better but oh, yeah. uh, i knew already i'm a, a it, it, I was really proud of it. Oh, fantastic. And the last one, which is the one I thought of on the way in. Oh, there's six. He's up to six, <laughs> I haven't counted. I, I'm coming to your house. What do you cook me for dinner? Um, I'm doing a mean braised rabbit with spätzle. Oh. It is uh, sweet and sour and creamy. Uh, I, I mean, if you're up for it. Otherwise, uh, maybe rabbit. just a... 
a nice uh, pork knuckle, you know, like oh, you have yeah. to go sometimes a little bit the old, but I just bought a new pizza oven. So, wow. Oh, <laughs> there's yeah. so many like options. you're staying for a week, mate. I was going to say, <laughs> lock me in. No, that, that's it for me. Thank you, Marcus. Those answers are awesome. Yeah. Hey, look, thanks, mate, for joining us. It's been amazing uh, to sort of hear your story and journey and certainly where you started from and not been able to speak a word of English to where you are now it's uh, it's all kudos to you you've done an exceptional job and you continue to do so and inspire so many not just here in melbourne but uh in in your entire industry and uh we really appreciate your time and uh and joining us on event for life thanks so much uh, for having me and um hopefully i will be still a few years in the event uh, <laughs> in melbourne i'm and, sure there's uh, a bit left in yeah i've no doubt no. and i think we have actually a really bright future uh, if i see now the people coming through as so, well and uh and I think we have a bright future in front of us uh, with events. On that note, booyah. <laughs> Great, Ed. Thanks, Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks, Cheers. Marcus, mate. Bye. Thank you very much. Da. Thanks for listening to An Event for Life. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to listen to more episodes. I'm Brad. And I'm Shane. And this podcast is produced by EOS Creative. See you next time on An Event for Life.